0: You can join me in reading Mark chapter 1 and verse 12 to 20. The Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, which is Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men." And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you now to ask for you to do what only you can do in this time. Uh, We don't want to just merely learn information. But we want our minds informed of truth about who you are and the world you made and who we are in light of this. And we want our hearts uh, transformed by your Spirit so that we would worship you through Christ and in the power of the Spirit. And we would live all of life in a way that's fitting with the world you made and how you made us to be and that would give you great glory. So we pray that you would help us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our world, as we know, needs... Good news, because so often our world is filled with bad news. Some of you may remember last year that as things were getting increasingly discouraging and bad news after bad news would come, um, actor John Krasinski started a YouTube channel called Some Good News um, because he recognized that we needed some good news in the midst of all the bad news that was going on. And so the goal was to give an encouraging break from so much that was so discouraging. But that little moment of us, you know, realizing how refreshing and encouraging and needful it is to have this good news, that little note does um, tap into something deeper in us. Uh, We're looking for good news to come into our world that is so often so pervasively filled with bad news. And so what is the good news that people are hoping to hear? We're looking for good news to come into the world, so what are we looking for? Well, for some, it's urgent physical healing. For others, it's relational healing or national and global peace, whatever nation they find themselves in, or for personal wealth and security from that wealth, or for the poor and the oppressed to be helped, to be rid of shame and guilt to trade addiction for freedom to trade discouragement for and depression for happiness to trade anxiety for a deep sense of calm to live with a deep sense that you belong that i belong that we belong here or all of this together and so Jesus came and when he came he announced good news And He was answering with that announcement of good news. He was providing an answer to all of our problems. It answers our deepest longings, and this good news connects with all of life. Jesus announced God's plan to bring everything back together that's been broken. He came to bring the true utopia that our world longs for and bring it to us by grace. He came to bring restoration to us personally between us relationally, around us, globally. He came not just to restore people, but to eventually renew this earth creation itself. And so this is not what comes to, I think, most people's minds when they think of, what's the message of Jesus? We're moving into a post-Christian culture, and the message of Jesus is largely missed. It was largely missed when most people were familiar with the Bible. Many people think that Jesus just offers a bit of religion for the side of life, maybe for Sunday mornings, maybe for a few minutes each day, or He came to bring some ethics that will help us out, or a philosophy. Many people think of the good news of Christianity is essentially something like this. Believe that God exists, try to do better, and be glad that you go to a better place when you die. But the gospel of Mark shows us that the good news that Jesus came to bring to our world is way bigger than this. We see that Jesus came to bring uh, what he calls the kingdom of God. And he calls us to enter into that kingdom now and participate in gathering more people into this kingdom, to spread it. So the king and the kingdom have arrived. That's the good news in the gospel of Mark, and we are invited to join the movement. So our text that we just read has three scenes, and each of these scenes shows us something significant about Jesus and this kingdom, this good news that He's bringing. So here's what we'll see. We'll see that He confronts the enemy of the kingdom, He announces the good news of the kingdom, and He gathers people into the kingdom. So let's look at each scene here first, Jesus confronts the enemy of the kingdom. That's what's happening in this scene with Jesus in the wilderness in verses 12 and 13 here. So, if you were here last week, we saw that Jesus um, gets entered onto the scene, and He's called Jesus Christ. And Christ isn't just His last name. It's a title. It means Messiah or King. So, Jesus is the King, and then at His baptism, we see Him anointed as this King. So, the Spirit comes down upon Him And the father declares over Jesus, you are my beloved son, which is essentially a quote from Psalm 2 in the Old Testament, which is a psalm about the enthronement of the coming king from David's line, who would be the world's true king. And all nations and all kings better get in line with this king uh, because he has arrived. And so Jesus then is anointed by the Spirit, and in that anointing he is shown to be our world's True king. And now that the king is here, he has to confront the resistance, the enemy, the problem, because there is an alternate ruler in this world. Jesus' first act then in the Gospel of Mark, after being identified as creation's king, is to confront that ruler. So, who is the ruler? Verses 12 and 13 show us who it is. You can look at it again with me. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, we know from other gospel accounts like Matthew and Mark that quite a bit did happen in this 40-day period when Jesus is in the wilderness. But Mark is very brief. He shows us that Jesus is there. Forty days pass, and he's there with Satan and angels. It's very brief, and the focus seems to be less on the nature of the temptations, like Matthew would indicate. The focus for Mark, though, is on how this season of temptation is part of a spiritual conflict going on. So from the outset, Mark wants us to see that there is a spiritual battle going on in Jesus' ministry. So Mark's introducing the story of Jesus with the key people that we need to have in mind. And so it's a a brief glimpse into the spiritual battle that's going to be happening. We see him confronted immediately after this, even we'll see this in the coming weeks, by demons. We see him confronted by people in this story. But behind it all, we're introduced to this great uh, being called Satan. Not great in a morally good way, but he looms large. And so, Satan actually comes from the Hebrew word, which means adversary. And so, we shouldn't be surprised by this. If Jesus is bringing in his kingdom, if that's part of the good news, then he needs to solve the problems of the world and get rid of the bad news. And Satan is obviously a key reason for why there's bad news in the world. He was the one who first tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, And ever since then, he's had a measure of power in the world. Jesus himself called him the ruler of this world. The Apostle Paul would call him the prince of the power of the air or the God of this world. And so Satan is here to tempt Jesus so that he can defeat Jesus. He tempts Jesus just like he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and just like he tempted Israel in the wilderness, just like he tempts you and I. But Jesus is the better Adam the better Israel, the true human, and he's faithful. And so he confronts the enemy at the outset, and he moves on from the wilderness wilderness unscathed. So moving forward from here, we'll see Jesus continue to confront these darker forces. And since he's the true king, he's going to do it with authority. And we'll see him just cast out demons with a word because the king is here, and he's driving out that which confronts his rule. By the way, you may be wondering, like me, what's with the wild animals here? When we just read Mark at kind of a surface level, an obvious answer would be, well, they're there. Mark mentions them because they were there, which that's fair and that's true. But as we see in the Gospel of Mark, there's often a deeper significance, and you, you find out what Mark uh, why Mark is focusing on certain things by thinking about the Old Testament, especially the book of Isaiah. So, a couple options for what these an, wild animals are there for in the text is first, mentioning wild animals could emphasize the conflict and danger going on here in this situation. This is the conflict of Jesus with his adversary, and there's even wild, dangerous animals there. Here's another option in light of what the prophet Isaiah promised. I mentioned a few moments ago that Jesus' anointing by the Spirit was His anointing as King, and it was, that was actually promised by Isaiah as well. Isaiah 11 refers to this coming King and says the Spirit of the Lord will be upon Him. And then later in that very chapter in Isaiah 11, it says that this true King will bring in His uh, new exodus redemption, which we talked about last week, and also the new creation. And part of that new creation is that the wild animals won't be so wild anymore. The lion will lie down with the lamb. As Martin Luther observed, if you put a lion and a lamb together, lying down next to each other, uh, today only one of them will be getting up. Um, But uh, Isaiah says there will come a day when they'll lie down together in peace. And so this could be a signal that Jesus is the one who came to restore the rule of humanity over creation in this world of peace already. So either way, the mention of animals reminds us about the way the world's supposed to be. It's either a signal of danger because it's not the way the world's supposed to be, or it's a signal that Jesus is here to uh, reverse that and bring in the peace of the new creation as a foretaste. So, Jesus came to confront our enemy. And Mark wants us to see from the outset then here that there is more going on in our world than we may see with our eyes. Other cultures know this. They experience it. Uh, In the modern West, we often overlook it. We're embarrassed by people's stories of supernatural experiences. We focus more on personal sin or, increasingly so today, uh, how systems are built um, in corporate systems or medical explanations. But there's also a personal force out there, personal forces out there, personal beings out there, and some of us have experienced Uh, the powers of these dark forces. And Jesus came to confront them, and he's in charge, and he has power, which means we don't need to fear because the king is here, and he's still with us today, and he's still ruling today. So, Jesus came to confront the enemy of the kingdom. Second, he also came to announce the good news of the kingdom. Look with me again at verses 14 to 15. So, he comes out of the wilderness unscathed, and then Now, after John was arrested, so John the Baptist is arrested, Um, cancel culture is not new. He uh, puts his head up above water, he leads a movement, and the powers that be throw him in prison and eventually kill him. And so now after John is arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. This is perhaps the clearest, most concise summary of the message of Jesus. This announcement introduces the whole of Jesus' teaching and ministry. Everything Jesus says and does flows out of this announcement and refers back to this announcement and is able to be understood in light of this framework that Jesus is giving that he came to bring the good news of the kingdom of God. So the good news is that God, God's kingdom is breaking out into this world. And then everything will flow from this. So what does this actually mean? What is the kingdom of God? And how does it come into this world? Well, I think the best way to understand this is to actually just step back and think about the big story of the Bible, which tells the true story of the world that we're living in. Notice that Jesus even says, the time is fulfilled. So there's a story going on here, and the time is now fulfilled. He's referring to the Old Testament story and promises. The Old Testament was a story that was waiting for its completion. It was a book of promises that were waiting for their fulfillment. And one way to summarize that story and those promises and what they were waiting for is with this phrase... The kingdom of God. One way to summarize the hope of the Old Testament, the hope for the world, is the coming of God's kingdom into the world. The theme of God's kingdom begins at the very beginning of creation, in the beginning of the Bible. In Eden, we see that God creates the world as a king, and then he makes humanity in his own image. And the first thing He calls them to do is to multiply and have dominion and rule. He's making humanity kings and queens, giving them royal authority to reflect His character as they rule, reflect His wisdom, His justice, His goodness, His care in this world as they rule. It's the kingdom of God. And here's how we can define the kingdom of God then in Eden. It was God's people in God's realm reflecting His rule and enjoying His presence. That's what Eden is. It's God's kingdom. We have God's people in His realm, and they're enjoying God's presence, and they're reflecting His rule in the world. But Adam and Eve rejected God's rule. They rejected His word as king, and now everything's broken. Our world's filled with sin. It's filled with sickness. It's filled with sorrow. We can't even rule over our own minds and hearts as we'd like, right? We all feel this, and now our world's filled with a lot of bad news. But the rest of the Bible is God's story of how He will unfold a plan to restore His kingdom and bring His blessing back into the world. He established His kingdom in Israel as a little pointer to a greater kingdom to come over the earth, and the prophets whom He spoke through would speak about the coming of God's kingdom into this world The prophet Isaiah gives us the best glimpse of what this kingdom will look like. It's Isaiah that's probably in Jesus' mind, actually, as he gives this announcement of the good news of the kingdom of God, because Isaiah is the prophet who uses the word gospel several times and speaks about the coming reign of God in the world. So, I'll just read one note for you, Uh, Isaiah 52, 7. Isaiah 52.7 is a place where Isaiah uses the word gospel, and here's what Isaiah said. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, or heralds the gospel. So picture this, mountaintop, uh, how beautiful are the feet of Him who brings good news, who announces gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news, gospel of happiness, who publishes salvation? Who says to Zion, says to Jerusalem, the city waiting for news, your God reigns. So here's the picture that that word gospel was used. In the ancient Near East and in other places in the Old Testament, to refer to someone who uh, was viewed as a herald. So you picture a, an army goes out to fight a battle, there's the, the nation is threatened, and they go out and fight a battle. And if they lose, if their king loses this battle, then this city is going to anticipate very soon being run over by another nation or enslaved by another nation. But if they win, then a herald would come running back, and wouldn't his feet be beautiful, running on the mountaintops to come and bring good news that your king won, your king reigns, you're rescued, there's happiness and peace, you're no longer threatened, uh, you still are able to live, and so the king rescues them. And so what's Isaiah saying here? Isaiah is saying to Israel, who needed good news, that good news was coming. They were in exile, which means they were sent out of their land. They were under the rule of the Babylonian Empire, and they needed some good news. Uh, They were enslaved, and so Isaiah says, one day there's going to be good news announced, and that good news is that your God reigns. And so Isaiah gives this picture of God Himself coming to His people, returning to His people um, as the king who will establish His kingdom and renew The whole world renewed creation itself. And then in the very next chapter in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, he speaks about how this kingdom will come, and it will be through one whom he refers to as the servant who suffers for his people, a righteous and innocent servant who serves his people and is crushed for their iniquities and is uh, wounded so that they can be healed. And we know who that is speaking of. It's Jesus. And Jesus is this king then who's come. God who's come to reign and the servant who came to die for us, to rescue us. And in verse 15 then, Jesus is saying the time's come. Look at it again. The time is fulfilled. All the waiting, hundreds of years is up. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus is saying everything is about to change, and he calls us then to change in light of this good news. I mean, these are revolutionary words, aren't they? The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. This is why there's something of this even revolutionary feel in Bob Dylan's old song, The Times They Are a-Changin' which he wrote in the 60s when there was cultural revolution in the air. And Bob Dylan gave this prophet-like call to adjust in light of the changing times, and he even used words and imagery from Jesus to get his message across. So here's the first verse of that song. "'Come gather around people wherever you roam, and admit that the waters around you have grown, and accept it, that soon you'll be drenched to the bone.'" So, if your time to you is worth saving, you better start swimming or, or, or you'll sink like a stone because the times, they are a-changing. So, there's this prophet-like call that he gives to men and women, mothers and children, congressmen, senators, everybody, heed the call because things are changing And you're going to be swept up and swept away unless you adjust in light of the times that are changing. The order is rapidly changing. And that helps us just get a little bit of the feel of what it should sound like when Jesus comes and announces the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything is changing. It's time to adjust or you'll be swept away because the coming of the kingdom doesn't just mean rescue for God's people it means judgment upon God's enemies so which side are you on who are you aligning with and the rest of the book of the mark shows how jesus started to bring god's kingdom this announcement of the kingdom of god isn't detached from the things jesus said and did as if he announced the kingdom what's that about not sure but we do know that he was really nice and he went and being nice to people and said really nice things to people a lot, right? No, like what he was doing is showing the inbreaking of the kingdom. The king is here, and so, well, what's the kingdom like? Well, remember, a new creation's coming. The fixing of all that's broken. So he gives sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, strength to the crippled legs. He forgives sins and restores people to God. He speaks about the ethics of a world of peace and justice, and love, and truth, and goodness, and beauty. And He cast out demons where they're affecting this world so deeply. And so, He was bringing His kingdom into the world, and He's bringing the lost blessings of Eden back into the world. And Mark shows us this great surprise, just like Isaiah said, this great surprise that when God shows up to reign, He first must go to the cross. He came to serve and to give his life as a sacrifice for us. Because if he didn't, then who is swept away in the judgment when it comes? Everybody. Uh, But this is the heart of Christ. He looks at us with great care and compassion, and he gives his life for us on the cross, taking the hell we deserve and rising again so he can give, give forgiveness full and free and welcome anyone who will have him so that they can receive all the blessings of the kingdom. No thanks to anything they've done, but great thanks and eternal thanks to everything He's done, and we're welcomed in. That's the story of the kingdom of the Bi- in the Bible. Jesus came to announce that it was dawning in history, and He'll return again one day to finish that work. As the kingdom spreads now, it will come in its fullness when He returns. And so now this makes sense of the call to respond that Jesus gives here. Repent, And believe in the gospel. To repent means to turn around, to change direction. The prophets in the Old Testament used this idea repeatedly to call the people of God to turn back to God, to turn away from their sin. It's a change of mind and a heart that leads to a change in the direction of your life. So, repent, turn, and believe, which means to trust, to trust in Him to entrust yourself to Him, and to trust the good news that Jesus is bringing God's kingdom into the world. And so, repentance and belief always belong together, right? Two sides of the same coin. We we turn away from sin, and we trust in Jesus. Repentance pictures turning away, trust pictures opening our hands to receive and to follow Jesus. And this isn't just a one-time act, It's a rhythm of life. As long as we're sinning and not fully healed and fixed morally, then we're going to be repenting and believing over and over and over. This is the work of everyday life for Christians. We repent and believe, and then we continue to repent and believe in all of life. And he welcomes us by grace because this is the good news of the kingdom. So Jesus announces the good news of God's kingdom, and we adjust to it. And so this leads then third to Jesus gathers people into his kingdom. Listen again to verses 16 to 18. So Jesus is announcing his kingdom. Now he's gathering people in. So it says, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, also known as Simon Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Mark will later refer to these two brothers and the next two brothers he calls and some others as his disciples. This is what it looks like to begin following Jesus as a disciple. So, discipleship is a word we use often here as a church family. It gets at the heart of our purpose as a church, and that's, it's because of texts like this. At the heart of our purpose as Christians and as a church that's together in this Uh, is to be and make disciples of Jesus. In three words we use to summarize what it looks like to be and make disciples of Jesus are worship, community, and mission. And again, we we use those three words or categories because of texts like this. So, let's look at this text and see how this does inform what it means to be and make disciples of Jesus. Um, So, Jesus brings His kingdom, and then He calls us to a life of being His disciples. So first, He calls us to worship. Do you notice the decisiveness of Jesus' call here? Follow me. And they responded immediately and followed Him. Now, this could sound pretty strange at first. Um, if you don't know any other context or you don't know the other stories from their Gospels, it, it seems like Jesus walked up to them out of nowhere and said, follow me. And they were like, who's this guy but sure, Right? and then they leave everything and follow Him. Um, but the Gospel of John shows that these men had already known Jesus, fills out a little bit more of the story. Uh, they had believed that He was the Messiah, not sure what they all had in their mind when they said that, but they believed that He was, and they were getting to know Him. They heard His teaching, and so this, Jesus has several moments when He calls and recalls people to follow Him in new and deeper ways, and so He's calling them to follow Him. They'd already gotten to know Him, and He had earned their trust. But Mark doesn't go into all those details, not because he's contradicting them, but because he's focusing on something else. He's emphasizing the authority of Jesus and the decisiveness that Jesus does call us to. He is the king. The kingdom is here. Follow me. And they do. And now this doesn't mean that all of us will be leaving everything to follow Jesus, but we will be letting go. Of everything in a deep sense to follow Him. We have to be willing to leave everything and follow Jesus because this is about worship. We all worship something. Everybody's devoted to something. That may change through life, but we're always driven by something and devoted to something and worshiping something. It drives our lives. It may be approval from friends or certain people that you respect. It may be security from money, and it's driving you in your life. It may be comfort from relaxation, and you just want as much relaxation and comfort and ease as you can get. It might be success from business, and so you don't want relaxation. You will work hard and hard and hard so that you can get the kind of success that's driving you. Whatever it is, it's holding out a promise, and you're following it. And Jesus says, follow me, because He's the true King. And notice how Jesus leads with a sense of this, we could call non-hurried urgency. Here's what I mean. He didn't hurry people. Even through the gospel of Mark, we see that he doesn't rush people. He gives people space to make up their minds about him. He patiently helps people come to know him. Even these disciples who follow him still don't really have much of a clue who he is, and all through the gospel, we're going to see that they keep need to have their minds corrected. I mean, halfway through the gospel, Jesus starts talking about how he's going to die, and Peter is rebuking him because it's a crazy idea. So, he, he's very patient, and yet… He also did lead with a clear sense of urgency. This is because He was dealing with matters of eternal importance. Life is a vapor, and Jesus is encouraging us to not waste it and not waste our time, but to come to terms with Him. So, maybe you have not yet come to terms with Jesus, and you've not yet decided to follow Him. Maybe you are still exploring who He is. And so, there's a sense in which Jesus is patient with you, and I encourage you, Uh, give careful consideration to who He is, to what it would mean to follow Him. We need to get to know Him. We need to understand what it means for Him to be our King. Um, But though we need to be careful and give careful consideration, we shouldn't be casual about this because He is the King. His kingdom is here, and none of us knows how much time we have. And so He does call us to decisiveness. He calls us to worship. He also calls us to community. Notice Jesus is beginning a whole new movement here. It started a bit with John the Baptist as he was gathering people to prepare, and now Jesus is leading this new movement. When He calls these disciples to follow Him, notice He's calling them in community and into community, right? He's calling two brothers here and then another set of two brothers, and He's calling them to a new community around Him. So, as people gather around Jesus… No matter what direction they're coming from, what walk of life they're coming from, what what age they are, what background they have, what sins they've been entrenched in, as they come to Jesus, they find themselves around Him, and they find themselves as a new community. And this is what Jesus is doing. In fact, He's starting in in sense a a whole new Israel. He'll eventually gather twelve disciples, and that number twelve is clearly significant for Jesus and the writers of these uh, gospel accounts. Because of the 12 tribes of Israel, Jesus is starting a new Israel. At first from within, ethnic Israel, these 12 disciples were Jewish believers, and then He's going to gather people from all nations. And if you've come to Jesus, you're now part of this, part of this new community in the world. And this community will continue to grow, and He calls us to follow Him together, not in isolation, but together, which is why we're here and why we should be here, and why this is so fitting, because this is what Jesus created. I mean, look around. Communities like this, communities of light scattering the globe and shining the light further and welcoming others in by grace, which leads us to the third thing, which is mission. Notice Jesus didn't just say, follow me. He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, fishers of people. He's inviting people to join His mission of calling people to follow Him. In other words, as Jesus calls them to follow Him, He's also saying, I will teach you to do what I'm doing to you. I will teach you to call people to follow Me as well, to join the mission. You know, it's interesting, the prophet Jeremiah spoke about this idea of uh, fishermen fishing for people. Um, And the context is one of great urgency, because it's a context of judgment. God's bringing His kingdom, He's bringing a, like we saw next last week, this new exodus redemption, welcoming, gathering people out of judgment and saving them, and Jeremiah says that God will send people to fish people out, um, and it's in this context of fishing people out because judgment's coming and God's kingdom is coming, so that could explain the sense of urgency to that. And so, the good news here is that the kingdom's here, it's urgent, We're gathering people for this kingdom, and it's for everyone. You don't need to be the strongest person to do this. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to be the strongest Christian to participate in this mission. You don't need to have your life completely together. And here's how we know, because look at who Jesus called. These guys hardly knew the fullness of what they were getting into here. They will slowly begin to understand who Jesus is, and what it means to follow Him. They're going to fail. They're going to struggle. Peter, the first one here, is going to deny Jesus when Jesus needed him most to be a support. And yet he's restored, and he was a leader in the movement. So for each one of us, very practically as we wrap up this text, um, and I know some of you do this already, but if you don't, just think of five people in your life that the Lord has placed around you, who don't yet know who Jesus is and have not yet understood this good news that Jesus has proclaimed into the world of His kingdom breaking in and don't yet know that they can be welcomed into this new way of being human, this new way of living in anticipation of the renewal of the world to come. Think of five people. So, think of uh, the five houses that are just right most closely to you where you live or um, people that that live near you and and uh, further away, think of uh, kids, think of your neighbors or your friends or uh, people in your classes or on your teams. Think of nations that the Lord has put on your mind and heart or nations that are in the news and pray for a particular nation. Uh, pray for the ministry we heard of this morning with Indy Internationals. Uh, think of five people or ministries that you can pray for regularly and, in particular, pray for opportunities for them to hear the good news of the gospel, perhaps through you. And as we've seen, the gospel of Mark uh, proclaims this good news. So be praying for an opportunity for the gospel of Mark to get in front of people so they can hear from God about this good news. So Jesus is giving us the privilege of not just being his disciple, but of making disciples. Isn't this incredible when you think about it? Jesus launches this mission into the world, and he doesn't just call us to watch from the sidelines. You matter to him. He came for you. He did not even have to show up. And he did because he loves you. And he welcomes you to come follow him. And then he also invites you to participate with him in this mission by the power of the spirit to call others to join uh, into his kingdom. He's inviting us to repent and believe the good news decisively and then every day. And he gives us the privilege and the joy of welcoming others to follow him as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this good news that you have announced into this world that is so often filled with bad news. And we're all aware of how much we contribute to the bad news of this world. And we're tired of even hearing the headlines that are in our own minds about our own selves and so thank you for coming to bring renewal thank you for sending your son and then your spirit and so we pray that you would help us to be a community that responds rightly to the urgency and the goodness of this message by following jesus and making disciples so would you do what only you can do Would you surprise us this afternoon and this week in answer to our own prayers uh, to bring people to yourself through Jesus? Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.